Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. I hope you're enjoying the holidays with your family and friends, as I am. Well, as we near the end of 2022, we are witnessing a key moment of history in the Congress. Among Democrats, the passing of the torch of leadership to a new generation and the end of the amazing exercise of leadership by Nancy Pelosi. Without doubt, Nancy Pelosi is the most effective and most successful Speaker of the House since Sam Rayburn. And in my judgment, given how many more serious issues she had to deal with, the most effective speaker ever, period. 16 years, four presidents, two impeachments, one pandemic, and one insurrection later, we wanted to look back today at Nancy Pelosi's legacy before she actually hands over the baton. In the last year, there have been three terrific books published about Nancy. One, Arc of Power by former Pelosi Chief of Staff John A. Lawrence. Another, Pelosi, by Time Magazine political correspondent Molly Ball, who spoke about the book here on the Bill Press Pod. And then, Madam Speaker, by USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, another previous guest on the podcast. And today, Susan Page comes back to discuss one for the history books, the life and legacy of Nancy Pelosi. Susan Page, welcome back to the uh, Bill Press Pod. It's good to talk to you again. Hey, Bill, it's great to be back with you. Thank you. So last year, uh, we had a chance to talk about your great new book when it came out, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Now that uh, the speaker has announced that she is stepping down at the end of the year, uh, it's good of you to come back because we want to talk about you know, the bigger picture and how Nancy Pelosi will be remember it. So let me, let me start by asking you, in our lifetime, have we ever seen a Speaker of the House as effective as Nancy Pelosi? No, uh, we never have. Uh, I think that uh, whether you agree with all of her policies or not, uh, it is pretty indisputable that she is the most consequential, the most effective, the most powerful House Speaker since Sam Rayburn. Mm, right. Now, is that because we compare her with Denny Hastert and John Boehner and Paul Ryan or Kevin well, McCarthy or, or, or on her own. But we also compare her to, say, Tip O'Neill, who hmm. was also an effective uh, speaker. But uh, Tip O'Neill's own granddaughter told me that she agreed with the analysis that Nancy hmm. Pelosi, as good as Tip O'Neill was at getting things done, including with Ronald Reagan, that Nancy Pelosi was better. I mean, she it's she is. So let's not even talk about our lifetimes because we're both so young. Yeah, right, let's talk about you. the whole span of yeah. American history. history Historians right. and political scientists say that looking at the entire span of American history, that Nancy Pelosi is one of the five or six most effective speakers we have ever had. Wow. Uh, and by the way, that 
the speaker kind of makes the job, don't they? You point out in your book that while the speakership is the first U.S. office to be mentioned in the Constitution, the duties are not really closely defined, right? It's up to the speaker to decide how much power they're going to exercise, right? That's right. And and there were times when the speaker has been uh, left power uh, very much in the hands of important committee chairs. Yeah. Uh, that's true part of the time. But one thing that Newt Gingrich did when he was Speaker of the House uh, was consolidate power in the office of the Speaker. And Nancy Pelosi has also done that. She has, uh, you know, the committee chairs answer to her when big questions uh, were being determined, including, for instance, when and whether to impeach Donald Trump. That was a decision that Nancy Pelosi made. She consulted with others, of course, mm-hmm. but there was no question who had the final say on whether important things were going to be going to happen. It was Nancy Pelosi. So the first Californian to be speaker, the first Italian-American, and the first woman, not only once, but twice, right, to become speaker, uh, she really, um, she took over the boys' club didn't she? She did. And, uh, you know, she she talks about how unhappy the boys club was about that <laughs> when she right. decided to uh, to run for whip because they had their lineups. Denny Hoyer was next in line, the guy they expected mm-hmm. uh, to be elected whip. And she announced that she was going to run for the job. And it became because of the Democrats uh, failing to win control of the House back. It became a campaign that lasted for three years. It cost millions of dollars. Both of them raised money and gave it away uh, to uh, fellow House Democrats and hoping to secure their votes. It became uh, really quite a bitter contest. And the results were reasonably close. But she won that election uh, for to be uh, whip, putting her one step above Steny Hoyer. And that's where they would remain right up to now when they are both stepping away from the leadership. So she first became speaker in 2007. So 16 years, four presidents, two impeachments, one pandemic, one insurrection later. Uh, what do you think Nancy will be most remembered for? This last chapter of her career has been so important in our history. Uh, since January 6th, uh, since the efforts to find her and kill her, on that day, mm-hmm. uh, and her work after that, insisting that there be an inquiry into it, although Republicans refused to agree to the bipartisan commission she wanted to to establish. Instead, uh, she ended up uh, creating this special House committee. I mean, I think this has been uh, really consequential in terms of our the survival of our democracy. But I think if you look at her legislative history, there are some big moments there, too. And number one has to be passage of the Affordable Care Act. I think she would point to that as her biggest legislative mm-hmm. achievement. And it's one that has really changed the way millions of Americans get health care. It's made it possible for millions of Americans who never had health care coverage before to get it. And I think she points to that as her biggest legislative accomplishment. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book, that that's what she's most proud of. Um, and it wasn't easy, right? I mean, she, uh, there were, as you, again, talk about in the book, there were people inside the Obama White House, right, who wanted, yes. to, who wanted to drop it. And Nancy basically said, over my dead body. 
You know, one of those was Rahm Emanuel, now our ambassador to Japan. Who was one of her top lieutenants in the House. Helped her win her, helped make her speaker in 2006 when he headed the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. So they had a good history, a favorable, Mm -hmm. friendly history. But when he was chief of staff uh, to Barack Obama, and this is a little in the weeds maybe, but you remember when Democrats lost their filibuster-proof majority in the Senate when Scott Brown was elected to replace Ted Kennedy. At that point, Rahm Emanuel, who had these terrible memories of pursuing health care in the Clinton administration, which cost them so much, wanted to go to a to a more modest plan. He wanted to curtail their ambitions. He thought about, he pitched uh, a, maybe a plan that would just cover children. That would be easier. And Nancy Pelosi uh, made that Im- an impossible for Barack Obama to do. She had this amazing White House meeting. Uh, if only we could be a fly on the wall for it, oh, where boy. she said to Obama, you can go for a smaller plan if you want, but I'm not going to be there with you. Now, of course, Obama couldn't possibly get anything through the House without Nancy Pelosi uh, working for him, not something so big and complicated. And she's, But she said, if you go for the big plan, for the, the comprehensive overhaul, I will get it through. And it was incredibly difficult. It cost Democrats in that next midterm election, but she got it through. And, you know, the night that it passed, uh, Hillary Clinton was traveling abroad. Hillary Clinton, who had, of course, headed Right. Clinton's doomed mm-hmm. effort to get healthy. <laughs> she called, uh, she was abroad. She called uh, President Obama at the White House and said, Congratulations. And Obama said to her, Thank Nancy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So even if you, and if you look at um, what Biden has been able to accomplish in his first two years, I mean, uh, several big things, the, the beginning with the, the big COVID. Um, uh, Bill, you know, the money to kind of get us through the through the pandemic, the big infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, with a very slim margin in the House and 50-50 Senate, he got those things done. But again, probably would never not have happened. Would you agree without Nancy Pelosi? Uh, yes, I think I think so. I mean, especially you look at the the history of the Build Back Better bill, which was Biden's. Perhaps. Most Thank, ambitious yeah. proposal. Right. And it didn't get through, uh, thanks to Joe Manchin. And others had concerns about it, too. But Manchin raised uh, late-breaking concerns. She did what she, what has really marked her leadership, which is she was willing to take half a loaf, unable to get the big bill through. They broke it up, and they got a $1.7 trillion bill through, which is still an enormous achievement, a huge amount of money, the biggest climate change legislation mm-hmm. in the nation's history, uh, so she took what looked like a defeat, refused to give up, and turned it into a victory. And isn't that kind of her mantra, which is get stuff done, right? Or get <laughs> shit done, I guess we should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. She, she, be, don't let the uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Figure out what you can actually get through. Um, she has not much, you know her, Bill, she has not much patience mm-hmm. with people no. who stand on principle and refused to support a half measure because they didn't get their full measures. That's one of the sources of some conflict that she's had with the squad in recent years. Uh, so, you know, she's not um, an ideologue. She has strong views. She's definitely a San Francisco liberal, 
but she doesn't let her ideology get in the way of actually getting something done. Getting things done. Uh, so important. So what did you, I know you talked to a lot of members in writing your book. What do people think about the way she manages the caucus, the way she runs the caucus? Well, there's a lot of fear. <laughs> fear is definitely <laughs> yeah. a weapon that Nancy Pelosi <laughs> is not afraid to use. And I'm pretty sure that for most of the Democratic members of Congress I called, that they checked with her office before they then called me back. Whoa. Um, uh but she also mm -hmm. uses, you know, here's here's the thing. She understands what motivates individual members. She knows their history. She understands their districts. Uh, she understands when there's a measure that's just going to go too far for them in their districts and when she can push them to mm -hmm. do something that maybe seems a little risky. She just she just has a depth of knowledge uh, that has served her well. She is willing to um, punish members who won't do what she wants them to do. She also has one other asset uh, that has uh, forged in ca your California, which is her ability to raise money. Oh, During boy. her time in the leadership, can you believe this? She's raised $1.3 trillion. Oh, she has distributed Whoa. to Democratic <laughs> members of the House mostly, and that is one way to get things done. Boy, is it ever. Uh, I, I just have to tell you that I remember talking to one member, I don't even remember which Democratic member it was, uh, after Dick Gephardt, and people love Dick Gephardt, the members love Dick Gephardt, but he told me, you know, they would meet with Gephardt when he was leader, he was never speaker, and they would leave the meeting and they felt good about, you know, the issues they talked about, and then they realized there was no plan, right? <laughs> there was, nobody knew what was going to happen or anything, and the contrast when Nancy became leader, right? They, le they left a meeting, and boy, everybody knew what the marching orders were, who was supposed to do what, by when, and it was, boom, really tight. And as you said, you know, she could clamp down on people if they didn't deliver. I mean, she could be a total badass, I guess. Oh, what. totally. I mean, just ask Jane Harmon, fellow uh, member of Congress yeah. from uh, California, uh, rank ranking on Intelligence Committee, wanted to be chair of the Intelligence Committee, and there is some kind of bad history between them, and Nancy Pelosi did not allow that to happen. Yeah, no, I rem I remember that well. So you did mention uh, earlier uh, impeachment. Um, of course, the House uh, impeached Donald Trump twice, but the first one, particularly, um, Speaker Pelosi was not on board for quite a while. Tell us about that. Well, of course, there were some Democrats calling for. Trump's impeachment before he had been inaugurated. <laughs> Correct. Uh, right. She, yeah. she didn't pay much attention to that. But there were uh, a significant number of Democratic House members who thought he should be impeached for various offenses. And she held them off. Uh, she did not think, she thought impeachment was the most serious possible step, one that was politically probably not helpful to Democrats. Uh, she was focused not on impeaching uh, Trump, but on defeating him at the mm -hmm. polls and defying him while he was in office. And it was only after there was the disclosure of that phone call Trump had with the president of Ukraine, in which he was fishing for, offering basically to trade military aid, US military aid that had been approved by Congress in exchange for dirt on Joe Biden and his son Hunter for the announcement of an investigation into them by the Ukraines. Um, that she saw that as, number one, she saw it as clearly an impeachable offense. And number two, the caucus was just 
in favor of it, even some moderates in the caucus, mm-hmm. uh, some former members of the military, uh, some others who would, weren't the, the people on the left who had always been calling for his impeachment, they endorsed uh, impeachment. And that's how that first impeachment came about. Right. Uh, her relationship with Trump, Susan, is worth a book in and of itself, right? <laughs> we remember uh, that famous scene of her standing up in the cabinet room at the White House, basically, uh, and defying Trump and walking out. I mean, well, nobody, I nobody, picture. yeah, I mean, nobody else, Republican or Democrat, had the guts to stand up and really take him on. You know, that picture is from the last meeting she had with with Trump. Uh-huh. You also have to love the first meeting she had with Trump, which was in right after Oval he was Office. inaugurated. Right. Well, no, that was another one. That was after oh. they had won the majority back. But at oh, the first okay. meeting with the congressional leadership, he starts the meeting by saying, you know, I actually won the popular vote. There were all oh, these right. illegal yeah. votes cast. And she said, that's not true. We have to deal with facts here. So from their very first meeting, she was willing to stand up for him. I love that picture of their last meeting. And you know the way, you know the way that picture came out? There weren't press there, of course. That was an official White House photo, and the no. White House put it out that night because they thought it made Pelosi look unhinged. And the Pelosi people then immediately sent it everywhere. They used it in fundraising appeals. They sent it out on Twitter oh, because yeah. they thought it made her look like, as you were saying, as a badass standing up to Trump. Uh, that was – if somebody look – it's hard to do this on a podcast, but if mm-hmm. you look at that photo oh. – You'll see that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs sitting next to Trump, who is looking down uh, at the table. He looks like he's praying. (laughs) You see, you see, it looks like there's all men at this table. In fact, Liz Cheney was there, but she's not visible in the picture. But it is one of the most remarkable pictures in our political history. So everybody, uh, all our listeners, Google that again. Just Trump, (laughs) Trump, Nancy, White House, whatever. It'll it'll come up. But, you know, she really buffaloed Trump, didn't she? I mean. You know, he, he would, could ridicule everybody, had nicknames for everybody. It always seemed to me he just didn't know how to handle Nancy. Well, she I think that he uh, misunderstood her. She was always courteous to him. Mm-hmm. And maybe he, although she stood up to him, you know, I had an interview with uh, Trump in September of 2018 um, on Air Force One. This was an interview for USA Today with my colleague, David Jackson. Oh, yeah. And um I asked Trump if he was worried that what would happen if Democrats won control of the House in six weeks when the midterms were going to be held. And indeed, indeed they did. And he said that he wasn't particularly worried about it because he thought he could work with Nancy Pelosi and that, like him, she wanted to get things done. And he said, in particular, maybe we can get an infrastructure bill through, uh, that maybe I'm closer with to Pelosi on that than with some of the House Republicans. So he had, I think, no, he did not have a realistic notion of what was going to happen to him if and when Democrats won their majority back, which, of course, they did. But isn't that the classic case with Nancy Pelosi that Republicans have all and a lot of Democrats have always underestimated her? So they've done two things, I think. The one, they've underestimated her to their chagrin. Mm-hmm. The other thing they've done is demonize her. Yeah, and oh, that so. has really worked for Republicans. They've raised all that money that Pelosi raised for Democrats. Her name helped raise a lot of money for Republicans. And there are some swing districts where the Democratic candidates have really been taken to task 
and had to distance themselves from Pelosi because of the image that Republicans have succeeded in creating of her. But didn't that also backfire for some Republicans? I mean, they thought that just comparing anybody or pairing anybody with Nancy Pelosi was the key to victory. It didn't always work. It, it did not always work. And she never gave any sign that she cared. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and she'd also tell members, say what you won't need to say about me when you're running for office. <laughs> she gave, you know, do what you need to do to win. Now, she would not have such a generous attitude if they won and they were actually in her caucus. But she understood what Republicans were doing there. And she also would say, you know, they attack me because I'm good. They're mm. good at what I do. I, they attack me because I'm effective. And uh, because and, and that's why they bother to attack her. But she was really demonized in a way. I, I, I'm, I, I can't think of another congressional leader who has been nationally demonized the way Pelosi has. Can you think of anyone who's had no, something similar? No, yeah, no, pretty singular. Uh, no, absolutely. Our guest today on the Bill Press Pod, Susan Page, her book, Madam Speaker, it was uh, published in hardcover last year. It's still available, of course, in hardcover and uh, on Audible. And is the paperback out, Susan? I should know. The but... paperback came out this year, yes. All right. There you go. Um, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, and the Lessons of Power. Uh, Susan, I want to get into some of the personal side of Nancy after we take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. We'll be right back. You know, friends, this is the time of the year uh, when we all try to get those uh, charitable contributions in uh, for two reasons. One, to help those great causes, but also to save a little bit on taxes before the end of the year. Well, here's one favorite of mine and Carol's, which I've recommended to you before and come back to you again. We can't do enough to help the world's central kitchen led by the great Jose Andres. I mean, friends, you know it. Wherever people are in trouble, suffering from some crisis, either a man-made crisis or a natural disaster, Jose Andres and the World Central Kitchen are there on the front lines. They're there still in the war in Ukraine. They're there for the flooding in Pakistan. They were there for the hurricane in Florida. Their website, wck.org. Please check it out, wck.org, the World Central Kitchen, and send them whatever help you can for this worldwide global humanitarian effort. They're the best. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's podcast, uh, talking with Susan Page, who is the Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today and author of the great book, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Um, So, Susan, on the personal side of Nancy, um, you got to know her. You interviewed her several times. You talk about you felt her wrath at one point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mentioned that um, that fear was in her arsenal. Uh And uh, uh, some members of Congress had described to me uh, how um, formidable she could be. in private. Um, and with me, she was, she was generally very gracious. She did 10 interviews for the book. And then an 11th, uh, uh, after, after the book was out. Um, but there were, there was a, in the ninth of these 10 interviews, I, I, you know, saved the things that were most difficult for the end in case it really, uh, you know, (laughs) didn't work out well. And, um, there was, there was, uh, some things that, on that she didn't think should be included in the book. And uh, she said, I don't think that should be included in the book. And I said, well, I, I think it should be included in the book. And she asked me why, and I explained, and then she pressed me on why, and I explained more, and she explained why she disagreed. And she really, uh, uh, she forced me to repeatedly defend mm. my view on this um, against her perspective. And it was, it was weird. She she never raised her voice, but uh, I felt like she was getting bigger and bigger. Like I felt she was getting taller and taller as we were sitting there. And in the end, I said, um, you know, I, I want this book to be fair and accurate. And I want to note the concerns that you have, but I, it's my book and I'm going to include this in, in the book, which I did. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't um, fold but I've got to say, I was when I walked out. I I was I think I was trembling. I was I had parked up on the Whoa. hill. I I drove yeah. home. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon. I drove home. I poured a glass of wine. <laughs> I turned on cable TV. I watched reruns of Rizzoli and Isles for a while <laughs> until I had my nerve back. So it made me even yeah. this small incident made me understand what she must be like when she's trying to get you to vote for the Affordable Care Act and you don't want to. Well, I was going, yeah, um, I'm glad you survived that. But think about the staff, right, that um, dealt with her every day. I mean, she must have been pretty demanding and pretty hard on her staff as well. I mean, I say that as a big fan of hers, right? But I mean, she, yes. again, in order to get things done, she was, she was pretty demanding, I'm sure. Did you pick that up? I'm, I'm sure, yes, she's demanding. She wants, uh, she wants to have control. Um, she uh, wants things to be done right. Um, she works very long hours. Uh, yeah. That means her staff works very long hours. But one of the I, I, one of the hallmarks is that she has kept staff with her for a really long time. Yes, she has folks who have worked with her for decades. She has, you know, some of these congressional offices have big turnover uh, because the member of Congress is too demanding or for mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And she has some staffers who have been with her since she was elected whip. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But you mentioned she works at long hours, and she's notorious for not needing any sleep, people feel, right? Um, also um, known among her staff for her love of chocolates oh. and hot dogs. I noticed that last week at the state dinner for President Macron of France, she uh, uh, informed him at the dinner table, we, learned, we know from her daughter, that Nancy said she has a hot dog for lunch every day. So I'll tell you, after, remember when she gave her farewell speech uh, in the well of the house, mm -hmm. announcing she was stepping away from leadership, afterwards she met with a small group of reporters in a nearby conference room, uh, and um, I was w one of them. And she, in all that time I worked on this book, I'd never heard the hot dog story. And she <laughs> yeah. said to us that, yes, she has a hot dog for lunch every day. And we expressed skepticism. <laughs> And she said, no, every day I have a hot dog for lunch every day with mustard and relish. And uh, and she insisted it was true. So I guess it's true, although she's kept it secret uh, up until now. She also said that morning she had had a chocolate croissant for breakfast. She does love chocolate. When she needs a pick me up, she eats chocolate ice cream. Uh, I mean, she really has the diet of an 11 year old. Uh, just a quick personal side. Uh, we had a dinner party here at the house a few years ago. I forget who the guest of honor was, but the speaker showed up. <laughs> uh, we invited her. We didn't, wasn't. She said she would try to stop by. The speaker showed up, and she showed up with a chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was afraid that we might not have a dessert <laughs> that that she wanted, but uh, I'll never forget that. So. Um, Another thing about Nancy is people think of her and attack her as that lefty from San Francisco. Susan, you point out her political skills were uh, refined and created in Baltimore, right? Kind of a machine politician from Baltimore is what she really is. Well, she's really the she's the you know she's the daughter of Tommy D'Alessandro Jr., uh, the three-term mayor of Baltimore and an FDR Democrat. Um, and also of her, of her mother, Big Nancy D'Alessandro. Mm -hmm. You know, she, her mother was Big Nancy. Uh, that's because that means that, of course, Nancy Pelosi was Little Nancy. Um, but she was really trained by her mother in the basics of political operations. Her mother ran the ground operation for her husband's uh, political campaigns, and she also presided over something called the favor file. They would sit, they had a house in Little Italy, still there, a cousin of hers now lives in that. Um, and her mother would set up, uh, they had a table in a, in a, because I'm an entry room, and people, would, constituents would line up and come through with their various problems that they had a kid in jail or they needed housing or they had an immigration issue. And Big Nancy would take notes, would then deal with their problem, but then would keep contact with them to like hand out flyers when the campaign came around or to do a favor for somebody down the line. So it is really politics 101. And, and there's a picture of Nancy, little Nancy sitting next to her mother uh, and Little Nancy eventually, I mean, as a child, took on the task of filling out the little cards for the favor file. And she told me that even when she was 
a kid, she was able to do things like call City Hall to try to arrange something. Or she, she figured out, her mother taught her how it was that you got favors done. And isn't that the oh, essence of politics? Absolutely. Politics 101. So the big question a lot of us have, and I'm sure you do too, Susan, how do you think that Nancy Pelosi, who is stepping down as speaker but not as a member of Congress, is going to uh, take being a backbencher? <laughs> do you I know mean, Je Hakeem Jeffries would like to know the answer to that question too? <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, they're close. He's been in the leadership with mm -hmm. her, uh, and uh, so they have a, a a good relationship. She here's how she put it in that meeting that she had with us after her speech on the floor. She said, "I'm not going to be." the mother-in-law who on th at Thanksgiving goes into the kitchen and says to her daughter-in-law, you're not making the stuffing right. That's not how we make the stuffing <laughs> in our family. Yeah. She said she was not going to do that. And uh, I think she recognizes that people have different leadership styles. It's going to be different situation for Democrats in the House since they're not uh, in, the, in the majority. Uh, they've lost the majority. Um, on the other hand, it's hard to imagine that she's not going to continue to play some role uh, as an advisor or, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's hard for me to envision her not be continuing to be a force of some sort uh, in the House. Although I don't, I don't know that we've ever had this situation before where a Speaker of the House has continued to serve in Congress after being Speaker. So this will be another way in which she's a groundbreaker. The only thing I can think of is John Quincy Adams serving in the House after he was President of the United States, right? But a oh, well, that's, that's interesting. Not, now, I did not cover that Congress, but that would have been interesting. No, <laughs> I wasn't there either, for the record. But, you know, I, seriously, back to Nancy, I think it will be hard for her uh, not to speak up uh, on some occasions, and it will be very hard for members not to consult her. I mean, yeah. if they yeah. will be. If they're smart, they will be consulting her. Right. She, she'll continue to raise money. She says that she's going to keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, she's not going to serve on committees. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean she won't be active in promoting legislation she she believes in. The other thing right. she says she's going to do is uh, work on the massive amount uh, of history she's uh, seen, working on the Nancy Pelosi archives at the oh, Library yeah. of Congress. This is something that is not was not available to me. Um, it won't be available to anyone until uh, Pelosi has says they're available. Uh, and it is a, with a, with a history like she said, that is in itself a big job. And you know, one thing I hope she does, I hope she writes a book. Mm -hmm. I would read a Nancy Pelosi book. Absolutely. So you mentioned Hakeem Jeffries. He will be the new Democratic leader. Uh, he has been very close to uh, Speaker Pelosi. Um, what can we expect, Susan, from your point of view of Hakeem Jeffries as a leader? Is he going to lead in the Nancy Pelosi style. Um, and um, I was intrigued by a story you tell in the book about uh, how Nancy Pelosi sort of nudged Hakeem Jeffries into supporting the Iran nuclear deal. Yeah. So he, he's uh, he's on the fence on the Iran nuclear deal. It's something Obama very much wanted him to vote in favor of, but uh, he had also had significant uh, Jewish support in his campaigns. And there were some uh, important supporters of his who were against going along with the deal. So Pelosi arranged for him to get a ride on Air Force One 
<laughs> which is, you know, a big prize uh, down to a president's list. Without even asking him ahead of time, right? I mean, That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because when the White House calls and says, hey, would you like to ride on Air Force One down to, I think they were going to New Orleans uh, for a Katrina uh, event. Um, you say yes. And at the end of that, toward the end of that trip, Obama called him up and talked to him in a casual, low-key way about Iran, about the Iran deal, about why it was important to him, not in a big, you have to, not in an arm-twisting way, in an informative way. And at that point, Hakeem Jeffries told me he thought, oh, this is why Nancy arranged for me to be on this trip. <laughs> and by the way, when he got back, uh, he decided to support the Iran deal. But it showed kind of the her deafness in knowing that smart thing to do with Hakeem Jeffries on that issue was not to come on strong and mm -hmm. say he had to stay with the stick with the president. It was to make the case in a low key way and let him come to a conclusion about it. So I'm sure I'm sure Hakeem Jeffries has learned a lot from Pelosi, but he's his own person. He'll have a different style of leadership. We've already seen a very collaborative uh, style he's had with the, you know, that that kind of a group of three that really ran uh, as a team uh, to take on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lead the Democrats. So I think I think it will be it will be different, but maybe informed by his time with Pelosi. So finally, if anybody had any doubts about Nancy Pelosi's power or the way she uses power and her leadership skills, Susan, wasn't it all put to rest once we saw the incredible video of Nancy Pelosi in exile with other congressional leaders on January 6th? And totally in control. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, keeping people focused, um, not losing her head, um, to touching base with Mike Pence, uh, who had been no friend uh, up to that point. Uh, I mean, it was she was just, uh, she was in command. Uh, you know, I talked to her in an interview uh, a couple months after January 6th about what she thought that mob would have done if they had caught her. Mm. And she said, uh, she said they would have killed me. That's what they wanted to do. And then she said, but they would have had a fight on their hands because I'm a street fighter. And then she lifts up her, her leg and she's wearing those stiletto heels. And she said, besides, I would have used these as a weapon. Wow. <laughs> That is such a picture of Nancy Pelosi. She definitely would not have gone down without a fight, but she was in control. I mean, it showed, you know, McConnell, McCarthy, they were all listening to, and Mike Pence, right? Taking their cues, taking their orders, basically, from Nancy Pelosi. And then, Susan, as you wrap up your book, she came back, right, insisted that they come back, they reconvene, and, again, get the job done, right? Yes. And I think she deserves credit for that. But and so do the others, Mike Pence, sure. uh, the Senate leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there was no disagreement uh, at a time when we disagree about almost everything. Uh, there was no disagreement, I think, among the congressional leaders and Mike Pence that that was an important step to take. Right. At the last word and the epilogue of your book, Nancy Pelosi said that night to those who strove to deter us from our responsibility you have failed. And Nancy Pelosi triumphed. Yeah. Susan Page, great to talk to you again. Uh, congratulations 
on taking this first powerful look at Nancy Pelosi. Susan, you almost have to write another chapter to the book now, right? Yes, yeah. There, there's, there are more chapters to write about about Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, we don't know what's ahead or even how long she's going to stay in that role, her role in, in Congress. A lot to see there. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. Happy holidays. And again, folks, the, store, the book is Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. And there'll be a link on the episode notes to today's podcast to get your own copy of the book. You will love it as much as I have. Thank you, Susan. Talk to you again soon. Thank you, Bill. Happy holidays. And that's a wrap for today's podcast, all about Nancy Pelosi, her life and legacy. In the episode notes to today's podcast, you'll find a link uh, to purchase the three books that I mentioned about Nancy Pelosi, Ark of Power by her former chief of staff, John Lawrence, Pelosi by Molly Ball, and Madam Speaker by Susan Page. Also be a link to the previous podcast with Susan Page and Molly Ball about Nancy Pelosi. Enjoy those, and then we'll be back on Friday with kind of a special holiday edition of the Bill Press Pod. You may remember we talked about two big books on Donald Trump, one called The Divider by Peter Baker and Susan Glasser, the other The Confidence Man by Maggie Haberman. And we'll bring those two interviews, those two podcasts back to you this Friday on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, happy holidays, continue to enjoy the holidays, and happy new year. 